Hey, Tooth and Claw listeners, it's Wes. We really hope you guys like this episode with Kendall Long, who's the host of Little Curiosities, which is a brand new podcast on Q-Code, the network that we're part of. We had a really fun time talking with Kendall, and in the first half of this episode, we're going to talk a bit about animal senses, a little bit about anthropomorphism, and then in the second half, we grill Kendall with some really hard-hitting questions that Jeff cooked up. Anyway, we're doing our best to provide additional episodes each month, and that's what these interview episodes will be. And we're thinking of other ways that we can create more content outside of this interview format. That being said, if you're just here for our bread and butter attack story episodes, you've got nothing to worry about. These new formats won't be replacing any of our normal episodes, just adding to them. So you'll still get your regularly scheduled animal attack stories twice a month, and you subscribers will still be getting two additional subscriber episodes twice a month as well. Okay, hopefully that's all clear, and now we can get to this episode. Tooth and Claw Podcast. This is Jeff Larson here. We got Wes Larson, our wildlife biologist. That's me. The best turtle catcher I know. (laughs) Uh, We got Mike Smith, our producer, who... Have you ever caught a turtle? A wild one? Yeah, I actually have. Once. <laughs> one. He's caught one turtle. And then we got <laughs> Jeff, me, who's caught a few turtles, but not as many as Wes. And we have a really special guest, the very intelligent, very charming Kendall Long. Oh, goodness gracious. Who's joined us today. <laughs> Hello. From the <laughs> podcast Little Curiosities. <laughs> yes. Which, I really like your podcast. It's kind of like Tooth and Claw, but way more efficient. It'd be like yeah. if Wes was solo, <laughs> just like giving out <laughs> helpful information. But yeah, your podcast is great. And thank you for joining us today, Kendall. Oh, thank you for having me. I am a huge fan of Tooth and Claw, so I'm so psyched to be here. And yeah, I'm excited to, about our topic today. Yeah. We really appreciate it. I also agree. I want to echo what Jeff says. I think your podcast is much more succinct than ours. (laughs) There's far less about transformers and all sorts of other (laughs) kind of weird tangents. So We should make a pact right now that if either of our podcasts becomes the biggest podcast in the world we'll take the other one with us yeah. hey, i agree yeah. because I'll uh, take that pack. i feel like that your guys' podcast is pretty big so you know i'm down right, perfect oh well we i don't know much that. about transformers unfortunately <laughs> oh yeah well we can we can help you with that <laughs> do you want to really quickly say kind of what little curiosities is about just so people know a little bit about it? Yeah. So Little Curiosities is basically an accumulation of things that I'm curious about, things that I come across in my daily life, usually about nature, sometimes about plants, animals, different weird human things. And I really do a deep dive into things that spark my curiosity. So yeah, it's basically just um, all the inner workings of my brain personified into a podcast. All right. (laughs) No, I, lo- I love that concept. There's a lot of directions you could go. It's true. Jeff has a lot of stuff bouncing around in his brain. It sounds like maybe... <laughs> like right now, I'm like, how are we talking to you when you're in Germany? And the explanation I have is satellites. But it's like, so we send it to outer space and we can still talk to you in Germany right away. I don't and it know. Just, the, just... tra- the satellite translates me speaking in German to English somehow. It's incredible. <laughs> yeah. yeah, incredible tech. Technology's great. Jeff's a self-described koala brain, so really he's just thinking about eucalyptus yeah. and taking 20-hour naps. 
Um, listeners may also know Kendall from The Bachelor, right? You were on The Bachelor, The Bachelor in Paradise. Yes, twice. I was. Yeah, I was on a quest for love, and now I'm on a I'm a different kind of quest. <laughs> <laughs> the Bachelor is like a crazy show. I don't really watch it, but I think it's one of the most intense reality TV shows because it's like pretty much Survivor. <laughs> But instead of getting a million dollars at the end, you have to get married to someone who's been dating like <laughs> yeah. a bunch of other people the last 20 days. I wish too. we got a million dollars at the end. That'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, that's a lot better. Yeah. I'll play Survivor. Thank you very much. So Wes and Kendall both have, I don't know if you've told us or not, but if you have, I don't know. But you both have something you're talking about that, well, I'll let you take it over, Wes, because I don't even know like how to introduce what you're talking about. All right. Perfect. <laughs> So yeah, me and Kendall, we've chatted a bit about this. We wanted to do something fun together. Kendall is very curious about the world, curious about how animals and plants and all these different things fit into the natural world. I am too. And so Kendall came up with the idea, which I thought was an amazing idea, of how talking a little bit about how animals perceive the world and how naturally anthropomorphism is kind of falls into that too, because we as humans can really only conceptualize how we perceive the world. It's really hard for us to think about how animals do it. So Kendall came up with that idea and we decided to run with it. And I think I'll start us off and I'm going to talk a little bit about some animals that are really near and dear to my heart and kind of a little introduction into animal senses. And then I'm going to pass it over to Kendall. And I know Kendall has some really cool stuff ready for us as well. So I kind of, I like this is maybe a little bit out of left field, but we both ended up using a book that I just absolutely love. That book is called An Immense World, How Animal Senses Reveal the Hidden Realms Around Us. And that's by Ed Yong. And Kendall, I know you really like this book too, right? Oh, I absolutely love the book. I'm about halfway through right now, and it's insane to see how animals view the world so much differently. And uh, it really does bring to light It's like, I feel like I am a bug looking through the eyes of a bug when he's talking about certain stories. And uh, yeah, it's a a different perspective on like different realities that aren't human. Totally. And so I, I like tried really hard to come up with a better way to like kind of do a thought experiment for how animals view the world and perceive the world. But I couldn't come up with something better than what Ed Yong puts in the very beginning of this book. So I actually wanted to read an excerpt from this book that I think is really going to help people conceptualize what we're talking about. And then I'll launch into my little section that I wanted to get into. So if I may, I'm just going to read this. If for whatever reason it's too long, we can just get rid of it (laughs) later. But I do think it's really cool. All right. So this is straight from the book. And again, I really recommend this book if you're interested in this sort of thing. Imagine an elephant in a room. This elephant is not the proverbial weighty issue, but an actual weighty mammal. Imagine the room is spacious enough to accommodate it, make it a school gym. Now imagine a mouse has scurried in too. A robin hops in alongside it, an owl perches on an overhead beam, a bat hangs upside down from the ceiling, a rattlesnake slithers along the floor, a spider has spun a web in the corner, a mosquito buzzes through the air, a bumblebee sits upon a potted sunflower. Finally, in the midst of this increasingly crowded space, add a human. Let's call her Rebecca. She's sighted, curious, and fond of animals. Don't worry about how she got herself into this mess. Never mind what all these animals are doing in a gym. Consider, instead, 
how Rebecca and the rest of this imaginary menagerie might perceive one another. It sounds kind of like our uh, our cage match, but like a battle royale. <laughs> everyone against yeah. everyone else. It's about to go down. Yeah, this is a senses match instead. We're going to see how I they... I was scared okay. for the elephant once the, <laughs> the mouse walked in. <laughs> the mouse. <laughs> All right. So the elephant raises its trunk like a periscope, the rattlesnake flicks out its tongue, and the mosquito cuts through the air with its antenna. All three are smelling the space around them, taking in the floating scents. The elephant sniffs nothing of note. The rattlesnake detects the trail of the mouse and coils its body in ambush. The mosquito smells the alluring carbon dioxide in Rebecca's breath and the aroma of her skin. It lands on her arm ready for a meal, but before it can bite, she swats it away and her slap disturbs the mouse. It squeaks an alarm at a pitch that is audible to the bat, but too high for the elephant. The elephant, meanwhile, unleashes a deep, thunderous rumble too low pitched for the mouse's ears or the bat's, but felt by the vibration-sensitive belly of the rattlesnake. Rebecca, who is oblivious to both the ultrasonic mouse and the infrasonic elephant, listens to the robin, which is singing at frequencies better suited to her ears. The robin's chest looks red to Rebecca, but not to the elephant whose eyes are limited to shades of blue and yellow. The bumblebee can't see red, but it is sensitive to the ultraviolet hues that lie beyond the opposite end of the rainbow. The sunflower it sits on has a center and an ultraviolet bullseye, which grabs the attention of both the bird and the bee. The bullseye is invisible to Rebecca, who thinks the flower is only yellow. Her eyes are the sharpest in the room, and she can spot the small spider sitting upon its web. Plunged into darkness, Rebecca walks slowly forward, arms outstretched, hoping to feel obstacles. The mouse does the same with its whiskers, which sweep back and forth several times a second to map its surroundings. As it skitters between Rebecca's feet, its footsteps are too faint for her to hear, but easily audible to the owl perched overhead. The disc of stiff feathers on the owl's face funnels sounds towards its sensitive ears, one of which is slightly higher than the other. Thanks to the asymmetry, the owl can pinpoint the source of the mouse skittering in both the vertical and horizontal planes. It swoops in just as the mouse blunders into the range of the waiting rattlesnake, Using two pits on its snout, the snake can sense the infrared radiation that emanates from warm objects. It effectively sees in heat, and the mouse's body blazes like a beacon. It sounds like All one right. of those math questions from my fifth grade math book. You know, it's like, <laughs> got <a> yeah, <laughs> I got how many apples? Yeah. Who's Rebecca? It goes on and on. <laughs> it's really interesting because then he goes into like the spider and how the spider is really only feeling the vibrations of the web and how the robin is like feeling the magnetic pull of the earth. And that's what it's going to use to then migrate south for the winter. And it's this whole thought experiment to you kind of see how all these animals are packed into this room. And as humans, we assume that it's like, oh, it's dark in here. All these animals are going to be bumping into each other. But every single one of those animals is perceiving and communicating and navigating in different ways. And it's almost impossible for us to really understand how that happens, which is amazing. It's so cool that there's animals kind of navigating around in completely different ways than we can even conceptualize. So, yeah, I'm going to stop reading that because it does go on a little too long. <laughs> but I wanted to talk about a couple terms that we should just go over really quick. So, first of all, a sense is something that can be kind of hard to understand. So, stimuli are the physical cues that are detected by our senses. So, stimuli can be like wavelengths, radiation, heat. They can be molecules. Mm -hmm. They can be a lot of different things. And animals, like humans, we use those stimuli to turn them into information. So we have cells that are receptors in our bodies that pick up those stimuli and convert them into signals that then travel to the brain, and the brain will kind of analyze them and pull apart the necessary information. So that's just kind of a basic, that's how senses work. 
And oh, so Sixth Sense is a bad name for that movie. Seeing yeah, because ghosts isn't a sense. <laughs> there's not. Yeah, well, there's I stimuli. Think humans do have a sixth sense. Do we? What do you yeah. think it is? It's um, it's knowing where our body is in space. Like so spatial awareness. Spatial yeah. awareness. Yeah. So if you close your eyes, you can. I can touch my mic because I know where my body is relative to where my mic is. Oh. They should make a movie yeah. out of you. Right. <laughs> yeah. I don't see dead people. I know where microphones are. Yeah. Yeah. I know where the coffee cup yeah. is that's on the table when I close my eyes. <laughs> that's going to be the big the big reveal at the end of it. She yeah. knew where her coffee. coffee cup was all along. <laughs> uh, it is a really interesting thing to me, though, as I was doing research for this, is I kind of always wondered, okay, how come then there isn't this super animal that has like the best sight, the best hearing, the best sense of smell, mm. the best sense of taste, like it just has everything. And like it's because... Like the endoraptor. Endoraptor. Yeah, kind of like the whatever. I don't know what that is. What's the endoraptor? <laughs> Isn't that what they make in Jurassic World? Oh, okay. That just has like all of the dinosaurs in Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Indoraptor. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Frankenstein dinosaurs. <laughs> they're making so many yeah. dinosaurs over there in those parks. Who knows what they're cooking <laughs> up. This is like bulletproof. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty much, though, like the idea there is is when you have a really finely tuned sense, it's kind of always on the ready. So like if you're really good at smelling, your nose is constantly right there ready to smell things. And that's energetically Mm. pretty costly for your body. It kind of creates this almost like stressful kind of experience for your nose where it's just constantly has to be on point. And if all of your senses were that way, it would be way too much for your body to handle. And then you'd also just be flooded by way too much information that your brain wouldn't be able to pick apart. Overly stimulated, definitely. Yeah, exactly. Which is how we all feel when we go to like a Fast and Furious movie. Yeah, (laughs) just (laughs) overstimulated. I've heard stories. I don't know how scientific this is. Maybe one of you will know better than I, but how when someone loses their sight, all of a sudden they start growing more <laughs> I reliant bring up, on like smell or, or hearing or something. Like I was going to bring up Electra in the Daredevil. <laughs> that would have been but way no. better. For exactly. Where she's like blindfolded for like two years yeah. so that all of her senses are heightened. Is that? Oh. Yeah. Is that a thing? It's, it's yeah. a, just cut what I was saying before and we'll go with what you <laughs> That's <laughs> not. That's not. It's the it's same like our, concept. Yeah, right. It's our fourth movie reference in like five minutes. Uh <laughs> I would say, yeah, Mike, that's totally true. And like, I remember once watching this documentary on this person who had lost their sight at a really early age, and they actually learned how to teach themselves sonar, where they would send out clicks just like a bat, and they could map the environment around them. And that's a human being that figured out how to do that just because they'd lost that's amazing. our key sense for navigating Didn't the world. Didn't he ride around. a bike oh, too? I think I saw that same thing. Yeah. He was riding yeah. a bike. Oh yeah, he can ride a bike. Like exactly. on the street. I'm like, how? It's brave. I would think it was a prank. I'd be like, that guy's not blind. That's like, <laughs> yeah. no, he definitely was. You can tell he was blind. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then people, people that lose their sight tend to get better hearing and smell and their, their other sites do become a bit more fine-tuned. The body diverts the energy toward those other senses. Um, mm-hmm. But as humans, we are kind of, we are on the upper end of sight. Like we have pretty good sight compared to a lot of other animals. And the author of this book would kind of get mad at me for saying that because he makes it very clear that we shouldn't be like comparing how good animals are because there's really not a framework for comparison there. Mm-hmm. 
but I'm still gonna say it. We we're good at we're good at seeing stuff. We're <laughs> well, better like than that other one, animals. So. That one quote. It's like if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it's going to live its whole entire life thinking it's stupid. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, because it wasn't <laughs> yeah, built to right. climb trees. You know, so yeah, so totally. yeah. I think, but also it's difficult for humans to describe animals in those ways with their senses because we are our language. I think this something this is something the book also mentions. Our language is so like sight is ingrained in the words that we use, you know? And so even when we try to explain oh, yeah. how how animals see the world, you know what I mean? Like we even say that. Oh, animals see the world this way, but what we mean is how they experience the world, but we use see because that's how we it's like our eyes are like in front right. of our face. That's our that's yeah. our predominant yeah. well, like, method of us. ingesting. Yeah, that's cool. Exactly. When you see when you see like a documentary about rattlesnakes or or the predator, uh, they do. <laughs> when you hear a documentary yeah. about you see uh, the you see the like heat vision map that the snake is seeing. You know where they see the hot spots and stuff, and that yeah. again is like a human lens looking at how we think that probably looks to the rattlesnake, but it could be completely different. Like we have no idea how to to like quantify how rattlesnake experience probably is completely different it probably is but um (laughs) what do we call that kendall when we're when we're taking a human lens to look at things that animals do anthropomorphizing nailed it (laughs) right yeah yeah I, yeah, I practiced pronouncing that word. <laughs> it's a hard one. It's great. My mom practiced it, <laughs> So too. did our mom. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a tricky concept, and I know it's one that you're going to get into in some better detail. So I'm going to leave that up to you mostly. But before we kind of switch gears into that, I wanted to talk about a really incredible sense of smell. And the reason I wanted to do that is because when I was working with Dr. Tom Smith, we got into trying to do an experiment on bare olfaction. So olfaction means sense of smell. And what we were trying to look at was there's all these kind of anecdotal things of like how well bears can smell, but it had never really been measured. And we were trying to come up with an experiment that would measure how well a polar bear can actually smell. And there's this Mm. story of this village of, of indigenous people on the coast of the Arctic that pulled out a bowhead whale that they were harvesting. And there was a bear like 90 kilometers offshore that immediately made a beeline toward that whale. And it was collared. And so the collar data showed that as soon as that whale was pulled out, that bear took a a turn toward it. And the thought is that that bear picked up on the smell of that beached whale, that dead whale, from 90 kilometers away, which is insane when you think about it. Yeah. And so... What? That's like... That's like 55 miles, right? Yeah, somewhere in there. I, yeah, it's around there. Kendall's in Germany. She knows kilometers. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm learning. That's really difficult. Yeah, that's hard. <laughs> it's, I've, I've like ruined a couple of baking recipes because I've gotten the conversion wrong. So. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, the metric system doesn't make any sense. No, but it's better. I've heard it's better once you can master it, but, you know. Yeah, no, it's, it, is it makes sure. way more sense. Uh, anyway, though, this this kind of idea that maybe a bear can pick up a scent from that far away was really interesting to us. And so I started looking into it. And then I also think that bear olfaction is really important to a lot of our stories that we tell. So that's why I wanted to talk about olfaction. But I'm actually not going to talk about bears. I want to talk about one of our other favorite animals that's really good at sniffing. It's like a famous a famous sniffer. <laughs> Which is dogs. <laughs> oh, um, yes. I so, thought anteaters, but that, they don't even <laughs> it's really not sniff, right? Uh, they mostly I wanted use to that. ask you one question about the polar bear thing. Yeah. 
does it help them to be able to smell further that there's like less sense out in the Arctic? Because like yeah, it's just exactly. kind of like snow and ice, right? Totally. So there's not like plants and stuff interfering with that smell. Yeah, if you mm-hmm. stuck like a grizzly bear isn't going to be able to pick up a scent of something from 90 kilometers away because it's totally inundated by thousands of other scents, you know, in in that distance. Mm-hmm. But a polar bear in like a very barren environment that's also windy where scents can travel very long is like going to be able to pick them up further away. But it's still an incredible cool. distance for it. To that pick might it be up. the yeah. world record for scent smelt distance yeah wise. well don't they say it sharks might. can smell like a molecule of blood from like half the globe away they say a mile away <laughs> do you think it's this cheating that if, it, miles. if it's in the water it's kind of cheating because it can hold that's what oh yeah it's a different category i was gonna like say the same know. thing i do think if you were to compare again which we're not really supposed to i think you'd have to have your own categories for like terrestrial and marine mm. just because mm. it's a different medium and stuff does travel better um, so yeah, it's, I'm officially it's, giving the world record to this polar. Bear. All right. It's been given. <laughs> all, right. Uh, all right. So we're going to switch to dogs though. So if you spent a lot of time around dogs, you know that they're always exploring around their environments with their noses. And we all know that dogs have okay vision. They're missing some colors and it's a bit blurrier than ours and they have really good hearing, but scent is really the way that they navigate the world. It's their most finely tuned sense. And, you know, when we smell something, so I want to go through kind of what happens when you smell something and I'm going to set up an experiment or a kind of a something to imagine. Imagine your home and your roommate comes in and he has some lasagna that his parents made that just smells delicious and you just immediately want some of I that like lasagna. I like where this is going. <laughs> I just <laughs> so made lasagna. Like this, is <laughs> this is one of Jeff and Mike's yeah, biggest would, fights. I would hope they would offer it to me. <laughs> I've heard about the lasagna yeah. story. Right. <laughs> so Unbelievable. there's these little odorant molecules on that lasagna that are going to waft through the air. And what happens when you breathe in, those molecules pass by what's called an olfactory epithelium. And that's just this kind of latticework of bone and this sticky substance that's covered in receptor neurons. And those are plugged into a part of the brain that's called the olfactory bulb. So essentially those odorants come in, your receptor neurons grab them, and then they get sent to this olfactory bulb. And that olfactory bulb pretty much tells you like what you're smelling and whether or not it's important. And if it's not important, you're not really even going to register it. If it is important, your brain's going to be like, Oh, that's lasagna. That smells delicious. We should go ask if we can have some. Um, <laughs> very important. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of what happens. And that's a really have... interesting concept. Sorry, I don't. I don't mean to yeah, derail yeah. us again, but I, I'm always struck when I travel to a different country outside of the United States. All of a sudden, you, it just smells very different than where you're yeah. from. Well, it's, it's just like because you're not you're not used to all of those local scents happening. You know, totally. And a crazy thing about scent is that with like taste, we have like a biological. Uh, predilection towards certain tastes and like to avoid certain tastes because those can kill us you know so we naturally avoid things that are really bitter or toxic tasting scent is in that way we those are all cultural cues that we've learned like we have to learn that poop like smells bad like those are things that that aren't (laughs) necessarily like biologically picked up it's more like that take for you to learn jeff (laughs) Some of us are slower learners. <laughs> Still learning. <Yeah. laughs> Still on that journey. 
Anyways, uh, dogs have the same system. They have pretty much the same workings, but theirs is way better in a few key ways. They have a much bigger olfactory epithelium. They have a much bigger olfactory bulb and way more receptors. But there's some other really cool differences. And I, I truly can't look at my dog the same way after learning all this just because it's so amazing to think about like what's happening. So They haven't learned that poop smells bad. They haven't. Oh, my no. dog puts his nose right up in poop every single time. It's so bad. It's embarrassing. Just learn it already. It smells yeah. bad. No, has your dog ever eaten poop? Oh, yeah. She eats it all the time. It's like a territorial yeah. thing. I don't know. They're like, no, this is my land. Yeah. There's no evidence of you here. Get rid of this. Yeah. All right. So as we breathe in, we're taking in air to breathe as well as in air to like get those odorants. So all of that air is going down the same tube. And as we're breathing in then and breathing out, we're like breathing in those odorants and then expelling those odorants. So as humans, we get this kind of strobe-like sensation as we're breathing. You're like smelling something and then you kind of lose it as you breathe out and then you smell it again as you breathe in and then you lose it as you breathe out again. It's, it's this kind of on and off kind of thing. Dogs have a really interesting system. They have structures in their nose that split the air into two different streams. So there's a bigger stream for respiration and then a much smaller stream for olfaction. So the bigger stream like just goes straight into their lungs, but the air in the smaller split goes straight to their olfaction system. And they have those really good neurons there in that huge olfactory bulb. And because they aren't expelling that air with the outgoing breath, it just kind of gets to simmer in there. And then it actually gets replenished with each other breath. So it gets like strengthened even. Oh. So for them, their sense of smell is much more constant and consistent. They're they're not kind of going on and off, on and off. It's actually like as they take more breaths, it's just getting stronger and stronger, which is really cool mm. to me. Another really interesting difference is that they, dogs, and lots of other mammals have these really specially shaped nostrils that create these little swirls of air that are constantly bringing scent into their nose. So as they exhale out of their nose... These little nostril slits create these little vortexes that bring sense in. So they're actually still inhaling while they're exhaling, which is also really amazing to me. Interesting. So when you look at dogs, you'll see they're like their nostrils kind of taper into these like smaller slits. And that's to create these little vortexes around their nose to make it so they're like constantly having air blowing back into their nose, which Whoa. again is amazing. Yeah. Um, Okay, because they are so good at this, then we've trained them to like detect landmines, to figure out when polar bears are pregnant, to find tumors, and then of course to find drugs. And then bears have even more receptors and even bigger developed olfactory bulb. Uh, if you look at a bear skull, you look in their nasal cavity, you see this kind of lattice work of all these little thin, tiny bones. And that's that uh, olfactory epithelium where they just have all of those neurons. So bears are sometimes considered to be the best terrestrial sniffers on the planet, uh, with maybe the only exception being an elephant. It could definitely be better than that, that. big trunk. Mm. Uh, yeah, big they got that or one of those trunk. like uppity Somalias. They probably think they're the best. <laughs> well, elephants got ears too. The huge ears. Oh, Can they, yeah. Can't they hear really well too? I'm sure they can. I didn't dig They're into probably it, your example you're talking about of an animal with like all the senses dialed all the way up. It, Bet it you definitely they can see pretty elephants good. are number one. 
Right. Yeah. They, they might, might not be very good at being able to find their microphone, though. That's the <laughs> sense they're <laughs> they missing can feel out on. with their eyes closed. Yeah. They're pretty good at feeling vibrations too, right through their feet and communicating they are. that way. Yeah. They got all of it. Yeah. Elephants. They're Elephants the master cool. elephant. Master yeah. species. We figured it out. Yeah. Yep. So I got one more thing to talk about dogs smelling, and then I'm going to turn it over to Kendall. But one other really cool thing about the sense of smell, and I think why in a really interesting way it's it's a more refined sense than sight is that sight is very much present like we see things as they are currently happening it's not like we could walk into a room and if there was someone there 10 minutes ago you'd see this slight outline of where they were we see things as they are but scent kind of has this time travel effect to it and especially in animals like dogs where a dog can walk into a room and it knows like oh, half an hour ago, there was another dog here. This is the path it walked. This is what it did. And then sometimes they can even kind of tell the future because these odorants sometimes travel faster than the source of the odorants. So sometimes a dog will smell something before the thing actually shows up. That's such a cool way to picture it. I've never even thought about that before. Yeah, it's a different dimension to scent. And it's Mm -hmm. something that we don't really get with sight. And then another cool thing about it is it can penetrate things that we can't see through. So like a dog, if I, you know, if I'm with my dog and I have a rotisserie chicken in my pocket backpack, I'm realizing <laughs> that as I say that, <laughs> I, my dog knows, oh, there's a chicken in that backpack. But any person walking by mm. that maybe can't pick up that scent has no idea. So it is cool that it can see mm. through things too. So scent is amazing. I'm really glad we did this because I have a whole new appreciation for it. And Kendall, I'm going to turn it over to you for your your part. Yeah. So I focused a lot on how we anthropomorphize animals and we give them human-like attributes. And when I was researching, I found that the earliest documented case of how humans anthropomorphize animals is this book. It's like an encyclopedia of animals. It's called The Medieval Beastery. Have you ever heard of this? I have heard of that. Yeah, it's yeah. amazing. And so it sounds great. it's pretty epic. It's kind of like an animal encyclopedia. And it's a mixture of like there's monsters in there. Like um, they have half tiger, half uh, snake, different kinds of animals. And they also have animals that we're really familiar with. And so I thought it was really interesting. I, I did pull up a couple of the how they describe animals. And I want you to hear like the very human-like characteristics that they gave these animals. And this was really popular in the Middle Ages. And I read that it was second next to the Bible. So this book was oh, amazing. really <laughs> really popular back in the day. And in honor of uh, Tooth and Claw, I did pull up the description of bears. So I thought you guys would find Perfect. this interesting. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so this is what it says about bears. Bears give birth in the winter. The bear cub is born as a shapeless and eyeless lump of flesh, which the mother bear shapes into its proper form by licking it, the origin of the expression to lick into shape. The cub is born head first, making its head weak and its arms and legs strong, allowing bears to stand upright. Bears do not mate like other animals. Like humans, they embrace each other when they copulate. Their desire is aroused in winter. The males do not touch the pregnant female. And even when they share the same layer at the time of birth, they lie separated by a trench. When in their 14th day period of hibernation, bears are so soundly asleep that not even wounds can wake them. Bears eat honey, but can only safely eat the apples of the mandrake if they also eat ants. 
Bears fight bulls by holding their horns and attacking their sensitive noses. If injured, a bear can heal itself by touching the herb mullein. The fierce bears are found in Numibia. So that was interesting how they were trying to compare how bears made love with each other like humans. So there's yeah. some anthropomorphizing. It sounded it sounded like there's even like some morality that they put in there. Whereas like bears in their den, they make sure there's a trench between them. You know, very, yeah, they can't handle being with you know around their pregnant their pregnant uh, baby uh-huh. mama. So can't even touch yeah. them. No, that is interesting. Wes hasn't taught us any of this. Yeah, that's Take our notes, next okay. episode. Yeah, yeah. There, there's so many interesting ones. Yeah, I have a couple in here. There's one of the beaver. This one's short, and I thought this one was really funny. Oh yeah, we got to do beaver. Yeah, I love beavers. So um, they're so cool. So this is the beaver. The beaver is hunted for its testicles, which are valued for making medicine. When the when the beaver sees that it cannot escape from the hunter, it bites off its testicles and throws them to the hunter. Um, who then stops pursuing the beaver. If another hunter chases the beaver, it shows the hunter that it has already lost his testicles and so is spared. So. That's a wow. real, what would Mike and Jeff do answer to how to get away yeah. from something. We should write a book, Mike. Exactly. <laughs> Did you know beavers in their dams have a room to dry off in, like a mud room, and they get all dry and then they go into like their nicer room? See, that is kind of like anthropomorphizing, right? Because it's like, oh, they want to be all nice and cozy. But it does make sense. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Who doesn't want to be nice and cozy? Yeah. Beavers have, a, I think they have like really thick fur. Or is that otters? The babies they have do. really thick fur. No, beavers so do stay. too. Beavers Both, do of, Both of them. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I wanted to start off with that because I thought it was interesting how way far back in the Middle Ages, we were starting to anthropomorphize animals. And from there, we've gone to movies, TV shows, like giving them very human-like characteristics. And so one of the stories that was inspired by the book that um, Wes and I both read is wind farming, like birds and wind farming. So we know that it's a problem with birds running into wind turbines. According to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, around 140,000 to 500,000 birds die in the U.S. alone after colliding with wind turbines. And I think what was really interesting about how humans have tried to solve it is I think that humans have approached this problem in a very human way. And one of the solutions was something called Project Birdwind. And it was a five-year project where they painted one blade of the wind turbine black because there's something called motion smear. So when the wind turbine is turning, they think that it's invisible to the birds because just like how we're looking at a hummingbird and its wings are beating super fast and it's like a blur, they think that birds see the wind turbines in this way and it blurs it so they can't see it and so they run into it. And so there was an experiment done in this project Birdwind where they, when they painted one of them, they, they did experience like a drop in birds running into it around like a 70% drop, which wow. is huge, right? It's, a, it, yeah. it's like a really big successful uh, experiment, but they only tested around four of 68 of these wind turbines and it was a small study and they think that it didn't necessarily work for all species of birds. And I'll get into that a little bit later. But another issue is birds running into large buildings. I mean, I'm, can you remember like as a kid, oh, yeah. you hear like the smash of a bird 
running into your window and it's like the saddest yeah, thing yeah for sure Do you ever have like a bird funeral did you ever bury a bird? i don't think i ever had one no? but that sounds very cute yeah i had a bird funeral <laughs> once was it from a bird running into a window or wait I'm I'm confusing it with a goldfish funeral. Oh, those are <laughs> I just as special. A bird that ran into a window, but I raised it back to health, and then oh, let it whoa, go. really? Wow, huh. yeah, so you did better. It than was me. like it's like the coolest bird for like one day because it just sat on my shoulder, oh. and then like the next day it remembered it as a wild bird or something and was just going crazy <laughs> in my like, it's like, little it's like, oh no huge dorm threat. room. It had like a slight <laughs> yeah. little concussion, so it thought you were maybe like another bird. Yeah. It forgot. Yeah. It's like, wait a minute, you're an enemy. <laughs> exactly. But um, yeah, I used to have funerals for birds that would run into my windows all the time. And so um, that's definitely one of those things I remember as a child, like my introduction to death. But so they did find that bird collisions increased 19% for every 10% increase in the glass surface area. So it definitely appears to be like a visual thing for the birds. And um, they also think that's a reflection of the sky that makes the bird think, hey, I can go through this thing. So in that way, there's like another kind of like a human based visual solution was to put a pattern on the glass. So birds can be like, hey, this isn't like a portal to the sky. It's, you know, an act of building. Mm. But wait, like, do you have people come to your bird funerals? Um, <laughs> like, do you have like I I have I'm yeah. Still... I, my sister would join me. My sister is also a huge animal lover, and my parent, mm. my mom would be a part of it. My mom was like a huge reason yeah, okay. why I love nature. And would you like say something for the bird be- when you buried it? I definitely dress appropriately. Cry. Oh yeah, all in black. <laughs> the veil. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff's interested by this because his introduction to death was that we made him hunt a man out in the forest. An actual like a human <laughs> man. <laughs> Yeah, it's just like, just how, you know, how we had to teach it to him. Give you a 10, ten minute head start and you kind of like trekked after him <laughs> exactly. in the woods. Um, yeah, I've never, I've never hunted anything, but I always told myself if I started eating meat again, which I have since moving to Germany, because everything is pork, um, that I would, oh, yeah. Yeah. I would hunt. Vienna sausages, right? No, there's so many sausages. Like You got to laying all over the ground, probably <laughs> falling out of the sky. Well, the funny thing is I went to a pig museum. And after the pig museum where it teaches you about pigs, there's a beer garden and they serve sausages. It's like, hey, you learned about this animal and now you must eat it. So I was like, okay, I guess like I I think you hunt, you have more of an understanding about where meat comes from. And I think that's important if you eat meat to have like a respect for the animal. And it's not unnatural for humans to eat meat. So, you know, straight to the source, right? Not like a faceless package you find at a grocery store. So let's see. Okay. So... These solutions are great with, you know, painting the wind turbine and then also having a pattern on the glass, but it doesn't work for all bird species. And I think that's the main issue when it comes to tackling the issue of birds running into objects, um, because we're not really thinking like birds, right? So, so some birds, when they're cruising in flight mode, when they're migrating long distances, they have like this huge blind spot in front of them. And it's because evolutionarily speaking, like why would a bird have to see in front of itself? Because when it's flying really long distances, maybe through these open spaces, there's not like a tree that's going to like spurt out randomly or a forest. So, and also probably a tree not as high as most of the skyscrapers that we have. (laughs) So um, why would they have to see that? And it's only been in the past hundred years um, through evolution. That evolution has come across like huge, large structures like skyscrapers and wind turbines 
So yeah, there's really no reason for birds to look ahead. And it's very human for us to think of solutions with our eyes because humans have eyes in front of their heads, not on the sides like most migratory birds do. Some birds like the owl do have like forward facing eyes, but for most birds, it's kind of like their vision is just like nothing close to how humans visualize the world. So, which is a common thing for uh, predator animals yeah. often have forward facing eyes that you know, like so you can focus on the animal that you're hunting, and then prey often have eyes on the sides of their head oh. because they kind of have this they need this peripheral view to look for predators. It's that makes kind of sense. this like evolution's kind of given each of them this weapon to, to help them, yeah. No, exactly. Well, That's cool. something interesting that I was researching was that eagles have a blind spot when they're flying because they have like 25 vision or something like that, like very sharp vision. And this way they can see, but I think they're mainly mainly looking at the ground because they can see a fish from like hundreds of feet up. But, Mm -hmm. um, but because of how their eyes are, they can't see in front of them. So those things don't work. So what I thought was a really cool project that they started as humans have started doing is something called an acoustic lighthouse. And and I think this is cool because it's a project that makes it. So we're starting to visualize, like uh, figuring this out a way the bird can visualize things. Right. And so not a human way. Yeah, not in a human way. There was a study published in a study published in the Integrative and Comparative Biology, and they used zebra finches for this. And what they did is that they put a loud a loud sound one meter away from a net, and they realized that the zebra finches slowed down about twenty percent. And not only that, but they also altered their body position. So instead of running into the net head on, like most birds do when they run into these objects, they kind of ran into it like when they were up. Interesting. So it wasn't more so like a neck breaking Mm. collision, like they probably got a little bit injured, but there was not as much damage done. So with this sound, they also did a loud, like, sorry, a flashing light. Um, And this sound has to be more of a unique sound that you can't hear when you're in the city, like not like a car horn or like a dog barking or something like that. It has to be something that makes the bird think, huh, what is that sound and want to be more investigative. And so, yeah, so I thought that was really interesting. And it has to be loud enough because with birds' ears, they're like moving. So if you try to put your head outside of a window, you can't really hear as well as you can when you're in a regular space, just like talking face to face like this. Like if we were trying to have a conversation right. with our heads out the window, we'd probably have to speak a lot louder. Or uh, yeah, that wouldn't wouldn't be yeah. a good podcast. It, yeah, it wouldn't yeah. work. The best. I mean, it'd be a really cool podcast, maybe a cool video podcast. But <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I just thought that was a really cool way to try to solve the problem from a perspective that wasn't so human. Like like initially. We were trying to solve it. So, um, yeah, it is. It is really interesting that when we have these problems like wind turbines or whatever, that I feel like it always takes us a couple steps to remember that we don't see the world the same way as everything else. So it's like always the first kind of thing that people want to test is something that seems very kind of low hanging fruit to humans because that's how we navigate the world. But it always takes like a few iterations before someone's like, wait, (laughs) we need to think about this like a bird would think about this. And and then you start coming up with much more innovative fixes for these kind of issues. Yeah. I like when we try to do that and they make like a a cell phone tower that's disguised as a tree. But it's like, yeah, so obviously not (laughs) real. (laughs) It's so fun to see those. Yeah. Yeah. Don't look at this mysterious tree. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, I did want to talk a little bit about how social media affects 
animals, like anthropomorphizing animals through social media. And I'll kind of run through it really quick. I think the most recent case is, have you heard of Freya the walrus? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We've talked about Freya. Yeah. Did you talk about Freya? Yeah. A little bit, yeah. yeah. Well, you probably are familiar with some of the stories I also have for walruses killing people. But, um, yeah, so the thing about... <laughs> I don't know maybe. if we are. Really? <laughs> no, oh, okay. Not. Yeah, we'll have to talk about that later, in, yeah. I was going to say, in honor of Tooth and Claw. But, yeah. yeah, so Freya was this walrus that got really popular from TikTok because she would go up on these boats, she'd sunbathe, and she'd sink these boats and because she got popular this took place she's in norway, in norway right yeah in norway yeah um she got a lot of people wanting to visit take pictures of her which is a problem because uh freya is 1300 pounds she's really big and yeah. despite warnings of authorities telling no judgment no, no judgment no judgment <laughs> but you know i mean she can sink a boat so understandably yeah, it is big um <laughs> She can sink a boat, so, and people wouldn't stay away. I was looking at a video where literally she was crowded by dozens of people, and they were all trying to coax her, like, say, oh, come close to me, and to get a picture and stuff like that. Mm. So she was euthanized because of this, because she was deemed as a public safety risk. So because of that... R.I.P. Freya. Yeah, and I think a lot of people got upset because they're like, oh, can walruses kill people? And it turns out that they can... (laughs) So, yeah, yeah. walruses can p- kill people. Um, they can capsize boats, and they also have those big teeth. And they can also kill people by playing with them to death. I think a lot of animals, their version of play is very different than humans' version of play because yeah. a lot of times animals mm. are a lot stronger than humans, right? So I think a lot of humans can die in that yeah, way. Yeah, we're soft. Yeah, we are mushy yeah, biology. We are soft and, and pink. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, Got great eyesight, though. <laughs> yeah, great eyesight. We can we can uh, see the walrus coming. Um, yeah. <laughs> so there was actually a man in China who was killed by a 1.5 ton walrus after he was trying to take a selfie with it. And the walrus was trying to be playful, and he dragged the man into the water, drowning him. And so onlookers said that the walrus grabbed the man from behind and dragged him in the pool, submerging him and swinging him around. And the sad thing oh, is that yeah, a zookeeper also tried to save the man and he too drowned because the walrus grabbed on to both of them and was like more oh, toys. Geez. And so, wow. Um, wow. yeah, so that's just kind of a, an example of how us trying to anthropomorphizing animals and being like, oh, they're not that dangerous. They're really cute. Yeah. And sharing that in cute. social media can give people a misunderstanding of that. I think with Freya, a big part of the problem was just that anthropomorphizing was taking this, it was making Freya a celebrity right? because everyone thought she was so cute and she like was doing all these like funny things, but then also like Freya was destroying a ton of property mm-hmm. and it gives, it gives the people that have to manage that wildlife a really tricky decision because on one hand you have this animal that typically is doing behavior where you just have to, you have a decision that's just set for you or it's like, we got to get rid of this walrus. It's destroying hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of property but when it's like a celebrity and everyone thinks it's cute and stuff, it then you all of a sudden have all these different kind of levels of complication that come into it. Mm-hmm. So it is really, it is dangerous to treat them as though they're humans and, and make them these celebrities online. Exactly. And also um, the illegal pet trade on social media because people have like bush babies or slow lorises where they dress right. them up and they feed them. Like today, my sister ironically sent me a video of a bush baby with like a little hat on eating fish eggs with a little bib. 
Uh-huh. And yeah. I was like, you know that, that like sharing this and liking this <laughs> is just encouraging like illegal pet trading and um totally and right. a lot of those animals like have really sad lives so anyway just wanted yeah. to bring that yeah. to light a little bit because i think we share videos of animals on social media without even thinking that it yeah gives these animals like a really bad life so well i saw i saw a video of a bush baby or maybe it was a slow loris i think it was a bush baby that like a really famous photographer had taken this video and it was like up on its legs its eyes were super wide and it was hissing and kind of doing this thing and and everyone in the comments was like oh it's so cute it's so interesting looking and from like a biologist perspective it was like oh it's stressed out that bush baby is in full predator defense mode super stressed out you could see it like hyperventilating because it was so stressed out Mm -hmm. and i think it's really easy again as humans when we anthropomorphize to say like oh you know it it's making funny faces or something it's like, no, it's not. It's trying to tell us how stressed out it is. Exactly. And so I do, like, I agree with you totally that we just need to be really careful to, to recognize that animals feel things very differently than we do. And uh, we need to make sure we respect them when it comes to interacting with them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And things that we see as cute, uh, like the slow lorises that'll put their arm up. You know, Have you seen that video? Like trying to tickle the yeah. slow loris. They're one of the only venomous primates out there and right. when they do that yeah. they're like preparing to lick glands on like on their arms oh. so they can bite you mm. with venom like that's what they're doing yeah and i used to watch that video all the time and be like oh my gosh like it loves being tickled but no it's kind of like hey i'm stressed out i'm about to like bite you with my <laughs> venomous saliva like i'm right. going to try to yeah. Yeah, yeah i'm going to try to really cause some damage to you so so yeah which uh, i wish i had that option when i'm being tickled against my will too. <laughs> if you could have any superpower <laughs> would you have the slow loris venom bite superpower that's <laughs> a good one it's not a bad one. choice yeah yeah <laughs> but when we show them how many likes their posts on social media get they'll probably be okay with it right yeah they're like all right i will like, keep yeah. doing this 20 <laughs> likes Whoa. just give them grapes they love grapes no um but yeah there and there are so many like so many people are liking it without even thinking that it's causing these animals stress. So anyway, right. yeah. sorry to bum everyone out. I had to bring that up. <laughs> yeah, quit quit tickling your slow lorises out there, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> T-shirt, stop tickling slow lorises. It's not a yeah. euphemism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, well, did you have anything more about anthropomorphism or should we move on to our Um I can talk questions? about it all day, but uh, no, I think I'm I'm down to move on. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, we can always do this again. I want to play the other end of it and say, like, go ahead and take selfies next to wildlife because that just gives us more content for Teeth and Claw. (laughs) There you you go. Yeah. We we don't want to run out of stories. So, no, I'm just kidding, obviously. All right. (laughs) Well, should we get into our little question section then? Yep. Let's do it. So I have some questions for Kendall the here. Gloves are coming off. Yeah, <laughs> the armpits are coming up. Yeah, we're gonna be too real stressed <laughs> out here. Glands are out. <laughs> the glands are out. The glands are. Oh, <laughs> that's a bumper sticker. First question is: What is your favorite animal and why? Um, I have a really soft place in my heart for pigeons. Nice. I love pigeons. I like that. Just because they are a huge part of our history. And they were basically like the equivalent of feathery text message senders. Yeah. Back in the right. day, back uh-huh. during like World War One and World War Two. So if you wanted to send a message to your buddy, 
it would like be sent by pigeon and i think that's so cool you think anyone yeah, like cool. sexted with cool. them i hope so mike tyson probably has right <laughs> <laughs> mike tyson probably oh, well the reason i, love mike I actually heard pigeons. that uh the reason why mike tyson got into fighting is because someone killed his pet pigeon in front of him no way i've heard that really yeah and yeah. he's like how dare you and that he used to like not want to fight at all and it was like almost afraid of fighting and he got so mad that someone killed his pigeon that he like beat them up <laughs> and then he was just like oh i really he's, like this, this. Felt good. he's like I'm the really good <laughs> original john wick like when they yeah. killed his dog yeah, sure and he just is. went on a tear that was mike tyson we need to remake oh, that movie really with funny. pigeons <laughs> yeah yeah we do yeah i, I, I agree you. with you though i i think when i look at like a pigeon just like a common rock pigeon in a city they're like beautiful iridescence mm-hmm. and just they are a a weirdly beautiful bird and i think we just take them for granted yeah, so i think bobs. that's a great pick yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah no i listened to your pigeon episode and it's i thought it was very true that the animals that tend to be closer to us in cities and stuff are the ones we end up not liking as much a lot of the time yeah like we want to share our, our space or something right yeah. unless it's like a pet like we choose for them to share our spaces we don't want animals to be a part of our spaces which uh, is unfortunate for the pigeon and yeah. rats and mice and rat squirrels. Squirrels, yeah, <laughs> to a degree. I love yeah. squirrels. Coyotes, these cute little ones yeah. are like the fuzzies. Oh yeah, coyotes. Well, coyotes <laughs> eat a lot of pets, so you know. Yeah. Well, on that note, what is your least favorite animal? So I think okay, this might be a little controversial. Controversial. Perfect. Controversial. We love it. But and and I love all animals, but I think one of my least favorite animals has to be. Panda bears. Only because only because I think they hog the game. You know, they hog all of the TLC when it comes to endangered oh. species mm. and taking care of like a lot of species in our world. And um, I think people go through extremely great efforts to take care of panda bears. But like, what about the blobfish? Yeah. You know, what about the blobfish? What about? Yeah. Yeah. Such a good question. That is an interesting take. It's actually our. Yeah. It's our last question for you, though. You know, I think we're done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. This interview's sorry, over. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it's a really good explanation, but you're wrong. Yeah, look, I, I do love panda bears. Like, <laughs> Just kidding. I would hug a panda bear hands down, which I know you probably shouldn't hug a panda bear, but I... Yeah, but... They're adorable. Yeah. Like, there's nothing to hate about panda bears. I just feel like, you know, I'm like, give other animals They're taking the spotlight of They're animals taking the spotlight. Like. Yeah. Yeah, they got to share that spotlight. I just learned with blobfish that they're like totally normal looking fish. Yeah. And it's when they yeah. like come up to the surface that the pressure like totally deforms how they look. Yeah, and that's oh, like... Yeah. It's, like your, it's like your driver's license photo. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so well, bad. And it's so weird that it's like the corpse of the blobfish that everybody's putting on t-shirts, making like toys out right. of. They're like, save this animal, but actually this is like it dead it's like yeah so. but it's cute I will when say, it's dead, you right? know with the with the <laughs> panda argument thank you <laughs> i think sometimes and this is like a cool little conservation lesson i can push in here real quick a cool thing about pandas getting all the love though is then when you do protect panda habitat you're protecting all the little shit that no one really cares about you yeah. know like you're protecting this little lizard that you know isn't necessarily on anyone's radar but because you're protecting pandas it also gets protected so that's why that's why i want you to like pandas more. i love i do love pandas i do love pandas wes is hurt 
All right. We're we just going to send you like panda DMs for the next two months. <laughs> yeah. Cute memes of right. pandas. Panda propaganda. How dare you not what like is pandas? the most impressive animal you think you could take in a fight? Like initially I'd want to say some kind of bird, but because I feel like, you know, they're smaller, they have delicate bones. Uh, a goose? Mm-hmm. A goose. Ooh, a goose's geeses are extremely intense. Also, like after watching Alfred Hitchcock, birds. Uh, you yeah. know, if they're like in mm. mass, if there's like multiple different birds, then maybe that would be a little bit more difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, that we're talking or, like, one animal, one animal. Yeah, what? Uh, maybe yeah. like, uh, but it's not that impressive. I I also think maybe like a something like a. It depends where what the terrain is as well. Like, is it going to be on land terrain? Cage match. Cage match. You're in a cage. Yeah. It's UV that yeah, animal. Yeah, because if it's dry yeah. land, you could probably beat like a great white shark. You just have to avoid yeah, exactly. it till it dies. <laughs> right. You know? It's just like kind of like stand <laughs> far away because yeah. they, they can't breathe if they're not moving through the water. Maybe like a river otter. Have you ever seen how intense a river otter looks when it's eating a fish? Yeah. I think you could take I'm going to go ahead and say, yeah. I don't know if any of us could take a river otter, but I really? think that's it's really? a good it's a good pick. I like it. They're they're how mean. big are like, they? They just start biting. I'll take a river not, otter. I guess you could probably do it, but you would get bit up quite a bit. I'll bite it yeah. up. No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> do they have venomous bites? You know? They don't. But if you lick your glands. So in honor of the bachelor, I have a question I themed off of it for you here. No, we had to do it. <laughs> oh yes. So we're doing a bachelorette rose ceremony of your favorite tooth and claw animals. So this mm-hmm. is just like a group of animals that I've made. And first you're going to give out 10 roses, then six, then three, then your number one. So we got grizzly bear, polar bear, black bear, hippo, chimpanzee wearing suspenders. I put important detail. (laughs) Western lowland gorilla, (laughs) tiger, lion, great white shark, saltwater crocodile, bison, cobra, gray wolf, rattlesnake, orca. um, I like orcas. Tiger shark, vampire bats, python, komodo dragons, and dingoes. So first you got to eliminate half of those. Okay, that's a diverse variety of animals. Yeah. Do you have the list in front of you? I do, actually. I have the, yeah, I was going to oh, say, okay, like how, I'm really bad at right. memorizing yeah. big lists of things. <laughs> so uh, I do have the list in front of me, thankfully. <laughs> Our bachelors are nervously awaiting your decision. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's kind of like that gym room with all the different animals perceiving the rose yeah, in different ways. Yeah. You know, some people are smelling the roses, others are... Um, okay, so 10 first, right? I, I love bats. I think bats are really cool. Uh, mm. One of the only flying mammal groups, so I'd have to choose bats. Gorillas are just definitely gorillas. Polar bears, just because I heard a cool fact about polar bears. Like, if you eat their liver, there's that so they much. they can smell. <laughs> they can smell really well. I was, really was well. going to say, yeah. like, your fact is from this episode. Yeah. But also, the, it, that added to the polar bear being, being really cool. But yeah, if you eat a polar bear's liver, you'll die. Because oh, there's wow. so yeah. much, Whoa. I think, vitamin D inside the polar bear's liver. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought you were going to say you gain its powers. That'd be yeah, cool. and then you turn into a polar bear yourself. And, yeah. then you, <laughs> and you can smell a seal from like miles away. Um, and uh, let's see. So that's three. Tigers. are I like tigers and lions. Orca, 100%, because they're just extremely intelligent. 
you know, I like that. I like that in an animal. You know, I like the intelligence. <laughs> yeah. Um, that and a good sense yeah. of humor. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. Well, chimp with suspenders as well, because how can you say no to a chimp in suspenders? I feel like he has a really right. good personality. <laughs> you need you know? to have like a <laughs> he has humor. piece of people clothes uh, to get him yeah. in there. Exactly. A guy know, who knows how to dress. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. He's the only one that dressed up for the occasion. So you, you have to give him points for that. Um, uh, hippo. Because I've seen yes. amazing, of course, it's like the videos of the cute little pygmy hippos, but uh, I love hippos. And they can eat a watermelon in like one bite. It's just so cool. Grizzly bears, because they're just intense. <laughs> and uh, gray wolves, because they're closely related to dogs. And I think wolf packs are really cool. I want to be a part of a wolf pack. I love family's important to me. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I love the hippo explanation because that's what I was said too. They can eat a watermelon at one, one bite. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You just have to feed them a watermelon. They're content. Let's skip the six and let's go three and then one. Ooh, okay. So now three. you got to narrow the Top 10 three. down to three. Okay. Curveball. Okay. I'm going to do orca. Just because yeah. orcas, I love orcas. You like those smart, um, great smart guys. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, vampire bat, just because, again, I am just like, I really like bats. Fruit bats, like if it was a fruit bat, it would be hands down, but like vampire bat, I'll take. Um, and then oh, okay. uh, polar bears, because I think polar bears are really cool. All right. Yeah. Those are great. It's like a good top three. Yeah, that's yeah. hard. You know, they're all very different. Vampire bats were like, I don't know, that episode was really interesting. We did, because there's just so many facts about bats that like yeah, yeah just kind of crazy i think I, right. I listened to the episode of yours yeah <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, i should go listen to uh, it so now who's who's your bachelorette <laughs> winner of tooth and claw animals yeah I, I think i knew this from the beginning you know uh it's gonna have to yeah. be an orca yeah wow. I mean, yes okay <laughs> It's a good yeah. pick. <laughs> I think awesome. they're really cool. Oh, they're That's so our overall amazing. cage match winner. I kind too. of appreciate I mean, too that like unbeatable. they don't kill people in the wild, but like you know what? If you're gonna put me in a little tank my whole life, I'm gonna start killing people. Yeah, right. <laughs> when they have their fin all to the, yeah. like you know lopsided yeah. to the side. Yeah, they're out there sinking boats like crazy right now, which we're gonna talk about in our news episode. But, oh, I have yeah. seen. Are you gonna be? Are you talking about the video where that that one orca rams into the boat like the the video yeah there's a yeah. whole group of them really in kind of like just yeah outside of spain and portugal and morocco that are doing it like the uprising is beginning it, for sure you know the uprising yep. is beginning <laughs> the orcas yes, they're, they're gonna smart. start we're losing the ocean we thought it was going to be chimps yep. and gorillas but in reality it was the orca the whole time it's orcas. It's orcas. yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> that's why they're number one well <laughs> they're on our radar you heard it here folks yeah. girls like apex predators <laughs> <All right>. yeah <laughs> uh, uh What's something you, interesting you've learned making little curiosities? Um, yeah, I feel like making little curiosities, I learn things every day. Like I learn things all the time, which is really cool. It's why I love creating the podcast. I think an episode that I was working on recently is about synesthesia, which is a mixing of the senses. So there's certain people who can uh, see colors or smell shapes. And uh, I yeah, it's just so cool to be able to... Awesome. experience that and so um yeah diving into the world of synesthesia has been awesome like a lot of musical artists experience synesthesia anyway really cool cool yeah do you know what's like crazy that. that i learned i was listening to your episode on caudal autotomy caudal. how like starfish or sea oh, stars yeah, yeah, yeah they can regrow even if it's just a leg with like a little chunk of the center yeah they can clone themselves basically they can regrow yeah it's and basically like, become two organisms it's like if a pizza was sentient and can like regrow itself or something 
It's like you cut That's it exactly up. what I was thinking. <laughs> Pizza. <Yeah. laughs> but yeah, they're 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 insane. I think uh, fishermen used to try to like chop them up and cut them in half and throw them back, and it would just like repopulate like oh, cool. a huge population boom because they'd like grow back again. Doubled yeah. them. Yeah, that's so. That's like a hydra. Awesome. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. Um, is cake and ice cream one dessert or two desserts? If I can get away with calling cake and ice cream one dessert, I I will. Yeah, and also there's ice cream cake. So I feel like with ice cream cake, are you saying specifically ice cream yeah. and? We're talking. We're cake saying and ice like cream, a yeah. warm cake yeah. with some cold ice cream on top. Ooh. That's one because yeah. if I say it's two, then I feel extra guilty. So it has to be one. Yeah, I think I agree. Right. With Good that. way to think about it. Now context. Yeah. Now we're doing context. <laughs> so say a friend or a sibling of yours says. Hey, if you could only have one dessert for the rest of your life, what would you pick? Is cake and ice cream one dessert or two desserts? Um, well, I can't help but think it could be cheating because if I had to choose one of the two, I would say ice cream because ice cream makes cake better. I don't know if cake makes ice cream uh-huh. better. Whoa. You know? That's a good yeah, words of a wisdom. Good, a good yeah. way to look at it. Yeah. Huh. yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a very diplomatic answer, but um, <laughs> we're going to mark that up you to know, a very I, gray neutral. Yeah. I cheated all through like middle school, high school, and college. So I'm fine cheating on this question, too. All right. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Uh, Kendall, did you get a cool animal fact for us? Ooh. Yes. I do have a cool animal fact. Okay. <laughs> Of course, I have so many just in my brain. <laughs> Perfect. Um, one of my favorite animal facts is that wasps can mind control cockroaches by stinging their brains. And not just stinging wow. their brains. What? There's, yeah, there's like a certain part in the brain that the wasp will sting and search for with its stinger. Like it's so sensitive oh that it can figure out like, and if it's if that part is missing in the cockroach's brain, the wasp will know it and keep looking and be like, "Wait, where is that tiny little part in the brain Amazing. that I have to sting?" And yeah, it's it's that's what so cool. The heck? Yeah, that that just blows my mind. That's really cool. Um, cool. All right, so I'm just gonna ask a couple more. Let's do for all of us. What's the craziest moment in reality TV history? Um, yeah, there's a lot of. I mean, reality TV is just insane in general. But I would say the thing that shocked me the most was when Snooki got punched in the face <laughs> from Jersey Shore. I didn't see yeah. it. Yeah, I've heard about it. <laughs> I do it. remember that, though, yeah. I used to watch Jersey Shore with my, uh, with my parents back in the day. Mm. Um, and yeah, That's that was fun. just the most insane. Like, just like the fact that she got decked. <laughs> yeah. That was awful. Yeah. It's an amazing proposition to watch Jersey Shore with your parents. I yeah, know. That yeah. That's like, I would avoid that like the <laughs> point. <laughs> it was fun. Yeah. What are they talking about yeah. smushing so much? <laughs> yeah. Is that a big hug? I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know if I like really processed those, what that was. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I got one. Me and Jeff are both big fans of the show The Challenge, mm. which is like the MTV. It started out at MTV Road Rules Real World Challenge, and then it just kind of took on a, a mind of its own. But there's a season where, spoiler warning, Johnny Bananas has this partner that they work together the whole season. And at the very end, they give him the option to share the money with her or take it. And he takes it. And it was like they had formed this they, friendship like, agreed and they, they were like, they wouldn't take it the whole time. They like, used to be enemies and they oh, agreed they wow. would work together. And it was like $500,000. Wow. 
and we didn't know that was going to be an option really and then at the very end it was and he took it all wow and i loved it <laughs> so that's was my, that where that's my moment if they both said take it they would none of them would have anything no only one of them got the choice the one that did the best in the challenges leading up oh, to that got to choose that's brutal that's yeah. so brutal yeah was she just like was, they com- was, completely just like oh she fell to her knees mess. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And wow. he's like, you still would. It was great TV. Do you think they're yeah. friends? Do you think they're friends still? No, they, oh, no they're, they're like, no, they're on Mortal record enemies, for not being yeah. friends. Oh, yeah, that's so that's my pick. Yeah, uh, yeah, that was probably going to be mine, but I'll go with Richard in the first Survivor ever, where he just like used his arm to have a shark bite him, and then he like killed the shark, and they, but like. Is before like they kind of had Survivor figured out as the first season, so like, <laughs> like they were like starving too, and like they needed to yeah. eat this shark to keep surviving out there, and it was wow. crazy. He like it was fought a tiger a shark? shark. No, what kind of shark I think was it? Was it was a little nurse shark or something. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, it was a little bottom feeder shark, but it. I mean, it still bit him. Like he got his bite. It's yeah. crazy. Wow. Yeah. And he's just like, I have dinner, just holding his arm up for everybody. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Dragging yeah. it on the beach. Wow. That's pretty gnarly. Yeah. Mike, do you do you watch any reality TV? No, Mike? I was gonna go with the na- the naked guy from season one. That's like the only point. We'll skip. Uh, we'll skip you. For well, this. no. How about yeah. uh, is the it's great the same British guy. baking show? Does that count? Oh my gosh, I yeah, love that's great. Ca- that counts. Uh, sure. When in the last season, when that one German guy, or was he Polish? <laughs> Yanush. I couldn't believe he got eliminated. He was like <laughs> the best. You know, I love that guy. I thought you were gonna say. I thought you were going to say when Paul Hollywood gave someone a handshake. <laughs> That's your craziest reality TV moment Yeah, ever. and he then he bragged. regretted it. That was Kendall, crazy. were you invited on like shows after doing The Bachelor, like other shows? Yeah, there were certain other shows, but I don't know. I think after you do like a couple reality shows, you're like, eh, you know, you kind of... Yeah, you got to get out. Wes was, was invited on Naked and Afraid, right? Yeah, I turned him down. <laughs> you turned him down? Yeah, it would be difficult. Yeah, to twice they've invited me. Really? Yeah. It's also like a three-week commitment, and they hardly pay you anything, and it was kind of like... Yeah. I don't... I think most of the people that do that show like really want to prove that they can do that, and I don't... Well, I'm could good. you survive I'm naked? <laughs> In the wilderness? I don't know. I think I'd have a hard time. Yeah, it depends yeah. on where I am. Right. If it were like in my yard, I think I could do it. <laughs> Someone throwing like sandwiches or crackers out the window. That's, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, if it was a really wet, cold environment, I that would be miserable. Oh. I don't know if I can do the that. The bugs. I think bugs are the worst ones. I would never. I wouldn't do mm. that. Unfortunately, yeah, yeah. I would. I. I'd well. want to do Survivor. Like I think Survivor's great. Yeah. Me too. Me too. But you people should. suffer in Survivor. All right. Like there is suffering. They do. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, would Wes, Jeff, or Mike go the furthest on The Bachelorette? Okay. <laughs> Hypothetically, gonna... Wes doesn't have a girlfriend, um, but he does in real life, obviously. Okay, I have a question, though, for all of you. What would be what? Oh, okay. what would be a way to grab The Bachelorette's attention on night one when you come out the limo? I'm, a, I'm proposing day one. Oh, wow. Commitment right away. You're just, you're just yeah. <laughs> Show's over. Either, win or, grab either win or lose day one. Okay. I don't really know how The Bachelor works, but I'm just going to show up. Do I have, am I the one that has a rose? I'm just going to have like a giant rose. <laughs> That's actually. Just a massive paper mache rose in okay. a little wagon behind me. I like that. 
I like that. You're like, I brought my own rose and it's better than all your roses. Yeah. <laughs> I'm wearing a big bearskin rug, like with Ooh. the head and everything. It's over my head. It's tied you around me. Full wild yeah. man. Uh, yeah, Honestly, full wild man, full bear biologist. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. See, I would, you know, I feel like I would be biased towards like having the big bear on because I think taxidermy is so cool. And so, uh, yeah, I'd probably. <laughs> Wes goes with him. That makes a sense. He's like yes. the only one who's ever had a girlfriend out of all three of us. You know, I'm the orca. I'm the orca of the, the three of us. Yes. Whatever. <laughs> Are orcas just swimming panda bears? That's my question. Do I like panda bears more than uh, I thought? That's a good point. <laughs> yeah. yeah you They're might. pretty similar yeah. markings. I remember, yeah. I don't really watch The Bachelor, but I remember watching the intros once and Jeff with one F. You remember that guy? He like skateboarded behind the yes. car he was supposed to be in and then just threw the skateboard in the bushes and was like, yeah. what's up? That's sick. That was a cool intro. Yeah. yeah. I pick him. Yeah. He's- yeah. <laughs> she did. She did. Yeah. She was like, after that, that's why night one is so important. Make a big My night impression. one, I, uh, I, I like played a ukulele song and it was so lame. Oh, really? That's what I did. Yeah. I did the but it got his attention. Song. Yeah. I'm not a great singer. So I was like, you know, feel sorry for me. Give me a rose up. You're not even a good singer and you played a ukulele song? I'm like a, like I can sing at a campfire. I, I'm not like a singing on stage kind of person, you know? Gotcha. Even at a campfire, you're like, okay, we'll join in to make her feel better. So, yeah. All yeah. right, let's do one more question. Are horses overrated? You know, I I do like horses. I've rid, rid, ridded, ridden horses like a few times. <laughs> ridded is right. Ridded, yeah. I have ridded Road. horses. You had um, it right the first time. <laughs> but I do like I do think that they're kind of like you know there's like the horse racing which isn't really cool people will do like those shows where like they jump over obstacles with the horses and yeah I think they're probably a little bit over I mean it is really cool to like be able to ride an animal like that's pretty awesome mm-hmm. but um yeah. it sounds yeah, like you're saying people they're not like my top 10 animals not horses you know? yeah <laughs> yeah all right I'll take that <laughs> okay yeah all right well that's all I'm going to do for questions. You guys have anything else you want to ask or Mike or Wes? No, I think that's good. Okay. That was thanks, an impressive thanks round. Thanks so much, Kendall. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was really fun. Uh, a plus. Yeah, those were fun questions. Yeah. <laughs> it's fun having someone on that like knows as much as Wes to like. I can't know. say that I know as much. <laughs> I feel like I'm a broad but shallow pool when it comes to knowledge of things. You know? Yeah. That's a good way to be though. You yeah. know, you're fun at parties. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I just bring up like some random facts and people are like, cool. <laughs> oh, yeah. In your pigeon episode, I liked how you were like, you can use this if you go on a first date. And I was like, perfect. That's what I've been yeah. waiting for this whole time. Now that, I can like start yeah. going on dates. That's how I got engaged. Like that, that first, I just brought up a pigeon you just fact brought up and pigeons. he's like, you're the one. You know, yeah. Perfect. I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Kendall, for coming on. Thank you so much for suggesting the topic because I think it is one that we often talk about how animals use their senses to to kind of get into these encounters with people. And so I think learning more about how they actually navigate the world in a deeper context has been really fun. And I think it'll be really a, a fun thing for our listeners to to hear. And then also the anthropomorphism stuff. We love talking about anthropomorphism. Yep. So it was a great, uh, a great topic. So thank you so much for proposing those. And thanks for coming on. Uh, and talking about all the other yeah. bullshit that we made you talk. No, about. thank you. But, uh, it was really fun. I really I learned a lot in this uh, in this episode as well. So we had a lot of fun right. talking about it. Well, do you want to tell everyone where they can find your podcast? 
Yeah, you can find Little Curiosities on anywhere you get your podcasts, Spotify, Apple. And I ask questions about the podcast and try to get people involved on my Instagram at It's Kendall Long. So if you want to kind of be a part of the conversation and contribute to the episodes, that's I post things in my stories all the time to get people involved. So I'm following. Perfect. You should too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How many people are you and following? Mike's following you. Mike, that's special. Uh, 46. See, you're one of 46 right. people Perfect. Mike follows. Nice. I'm yeah. honored. I'm honored. You should follow him back. He doesn't ever post anything, though. I think I yeah, am. That's but we're bad. trying to Perfect get him follow. verified. I just keep forgetting. So, yeah. like, the more, like, important people that follow him, we can help get him verified with zero posts I think you can have paper being verified ever. now. I think there's, like, oh, a way really? you could. Oh, yeah, yeah, there's, yeah. like, Oh, a, well, that ruins it. I know. Yeah. Now, I don't, now I don't even want him to get it. <laughs> yeah. Now, if you're not verified, it's a cool thing. So, yeah. All right. Cool. Okay. We'll see you later. Thanks so much again. Yeah. Yeah. Thank thank you. you. Thank you so much, Kendall. Bye. Are you a Marvel fan? Matt, you know I am. Jeff, I was asking the listener. Oh, okay. Yeah, I thought it seemed like a weird question because, you know, we've been doing a Marvel podcast together for nine years now. No, no, I was trying to grab the attention of all the Marvel fans out there for this ad. Oh. I thought it was weird, too. You should definitely warn us. Good note, Ashley. Well, if you like Marvel movies and TV as much as we do, join us for the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. He did it again.